welcome to Soundboard, Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at Steinway & Sons, and for the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. My guest today is Steinway artist Annie Huang, who has hosted a salon series called Annie Time for the past five years. She has a forthcoming album of Gershwin and Barber on Berlin Classics. Huang spoke to me pre-pandemic from her home and studio in Berlin. Hi, Annie. Hi, Ben. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We are in your studio and home. Yes. This is where Annie time happens, which is your series that you started when? I had the idea for a very long time during my studies in Berlin. I had so many friends in different areas, artist friends. The one thing I noticed is when I hang out with them, I only hang out, for example, only with painters. Mm. And then when I had my conductor friend, I was only hanging, ar- um, hanging around with other instrumentalists, but main- mainly like other conductors also as well. So I thought it was quite weird because I, these all these wonderful friends, but they never met. So I wanted to change that. And I'm also a very curious person. So I had this idea to gather my friends into a program and uh, we all share like our passion, like in the earlier days <laughs> when artists did that. So I had the idea to create some playground for us. First, I think it was in 2014, I bought some chairs via eBay. <laughs> You brought some chairs. <laughs> yes, I can show you them okay. afterwards. Like okay. 50 chairs. Um, <laughs> it was an office uh, which closed and I was alone and I saw these um, Kleinanzeigen, eBay Kleinanzeigen. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like compared to American like Craigslist. Where, right. Yeah. I found them. I went to um, Neukölln, Kreuzberg, an area where I never went alone <laughs> when I was younger. It's not so bad now. <laughs> it's not so bad now, right? But back then it was quite exciting they were in an in a parking space and uh, was a little bit like a weird exchange i gave the money and then yes thank you goodbye i brought them here so they were here for a long time and then 50 chairs, 50 chairs. and this yeah. was your initial audience yes okay yeah i invited some friends colleagues from the balloon Philharmonics, my jazz colleagues painters we also had an actor Einer Strecker, who is quite famous in Germany as well. So I played just a little, but I hosted the evening. So, so it was yeah. a salon. It was some kind of salon, yeah. 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 And how many years ago did this launch? Maybe five years ago. Uh-huh. And how often do you have them? Um, like two or three times a year, mm-hmm. but not more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And has it grown since you started? Yes, it has, because um, when I started, it was like a private audience. It was just for invited invites only. (laughs) (laughs) And then afterwards, there were so many people interested in the program because there was also the gathering afterwards and the exchange, which was important for me as well. The social aspect. Yeah, the social aspect Mm -hmm. to create new cooperations between friends. So it worked out so well that um, other places wanted to host those evenings. As well. So now, does any time travel across the yes. city? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's very cool. Is it still always a mix of genres? Do you try to bring in other music? Is it mainly mm. classical? No, it's not. Mm. It's really mixed mm-hmm. because I'm 
creating a program that also excites me. So there's also one aspect which is very important during those evenings is that I don't tell people to do anything. So I, the only thing that I give them is the minutes they, they can perform. The artistic or musical minutes are like one hour and a half. And the rest is we have just to share the minutes that we have. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the only aspect that I tell them. And the rest is free. So everyone can bring whatever they want, which was, I have to tell you, it's really, it was really hard with my classical colleagues because at the beginning, I mean, every jazz musician... They're cool. They're cool. Yeah. They play whatever they want, right? It's almost like they're used to improvising. Yes. <laughs> and the classical musicians were like, so what do you need? What do you want? They were always like that. So I said, no, you're free to express yourself. You can bring whatever you want. The only thing I need from you is also that you talk to the public. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh my God, I have to talk. And yes, they were so afraid of that. And yeah, after some training, everyone got used to it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that brings up a question about classical mm -hmm. music. It does seem hard in my experience, and it sounds mm -hmm. like in yours, for mm -hmm. classical musicians and classical audiences mm -hmm. to adapt to less than formal environments. I just read an article that Yuja Wong played a recital in Chicago, okay. and she didn't play the works in the order that they were listed on oh, the program. Okay. And people were like, <laughs> mind's blown, right? It's like they can't handle it. It's Yuja Wong. She should be able to sit down yes. and play whatever the hell she wants, yeah. in whatever order she wants. For sure. And I used to write program notes for her for Carnegie Hall, and she would change the program four or five times, and I understand that. And I wonder, I wonder why mm -hmm. classical audiences can't accept a program that says, Yu Wong and recital, yes. 7 p.m., the mm -hmm. end. Yes. Why does it have to be, okay, she's playing Beethoven mm -hmm. 110 and... Mm -hmm. This by Schubert and mm -hmm. this by Schumann. If you go see a rock band, yes. you don't get a set list. No. It's just Radiohead. Yeah. It's just Justin Bieber. Yes. It's just the Black Crows, whoever. <laughs> yeah. So what is it about, or is it even a fair statement to say that classical seems rooted in this need for order and program and maybe is not so open to improvisation? Well, I think it's something that has developed Until now, now we, we know classical music, music as yeah this unflexible thing that you have to go and then sit there and not move. And I mean, it's hard for young listeners to go to these concerts because they feel like they're exposed to something that they cannot understand and they are not allowed to like move. My point of view is that when I grew up, I listened to everything. So that's why also... Um, made friends with so many different, from different genres. I also did some research that during Mendelssohn's time, for example, it was quite common to play like, for example, one movement of a symphony or a little movement from one concerto. So everything was a little bit more free than we know nowadays. That's also why I, one of the reasons I created Anytime, because I wanted people to be able to feel free. I myself sometimes feel like that I must play something. For example, it's list here. When I was younger, I accepted everything because when you're younger, you're ambitious. Someone tells you, okay, it's list birthday, we have to play list. Right. And now learn the first concerto, you have one month, go, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> That's Or how it it's works. a Beethoven year. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're all doing sets of symphonies yes. at every orchestra. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted 
to create some space for me and my colleagues to be able to breathe because sometimes it takes your breath away when you're in this strict in French I would say carton mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah boxed in yeah. yeah and yeah so I think now I just try to move away from that and I don't know why it's still hard for the people to accept that but but I think people are used to have habits mm. it's not completely a fault right these traditions yes have become sacrosanct yes yeah yeah so I think if we start to move a little bit, it's normal that people get shocked. But then, I mean, some people like Yuja Wang, for example, if she always does that with the free programming, um, I think people will get used to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, maybe that would be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. You thought you were going to hear Beethoven and then Brahms? Yes. Tonight you're going to hear Brahms and then Beethoven. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, for example, <laughs> during the anytime evenings, I don't give anyone a set list. Yeah, the only person with a set list is, are the technicians and me. This creates actually something more mysterious mm. for the public because they don't know what they're attending, but they know, okay, it will be fun. <laughs> and you don't always have to announce, I am now playing yes. XYZ. You yes. just play the piece. Yes. Yeah. Again, as they do in, in rock or mm-hmm. sometimes in jazz. Yes. Okay, so I understand... Your latest project is American Repertoire for yes. your next album. You want to tell me a bit about what you're playing? I'm playing the Barber Piano Concerto, which is a work that I love, but there are not so many orchestras who are willing to play it because it's really hard for the pianist and the orchestra as well. So I was quite happy that I could realize this dream project. And then I'm recording... Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which has become pretty standard, actually, in the uh, classical repertory. But um, I chose him because he um, integrated, like, two words together, the classical music and the uh, jazz music. During the recording, I also had my jazz friends in the orchestra, so which I brought from Berlin to Kaiserslautern in Saarbrücken. So... That's also why I chose the work, so I could play with my friends. <laughs> and yeah, and otherwise, um, other than that, I also have some piano preludes from Gershwin and some interludes I'm doing with um, Greg Cohen. When you approach what is now a warhorse like Rhapsody in Blue, do you feel especially obliged to bring something new to it because there are already so many recordings mm-hmm. out there? How does the fame of the piece affect how you approach it or does it at all actually i try to go back to the roots it's a work for two pianos originally originally yeah, yeah. actually i started by looking at the music score um for two pianos and afterwards um i also listened to some recordings of course but then after after several records i stopped because i didn't want to be influenced too much And I worked on it with my jazz colleagues. So Mm -hmm. because I wanted to bring the jazz elements and also hear from the jazz musicians what is really important about their music. And yeah, to use this opportunity to bring those elements into the recording and the interpretation. Yeah, sometimes you do hear the piece and you can tell that it's like, classical musician who's trying to swing that can be really painful right um did you was this the same orchestra that that you recorded the barber with yes okay so 
in talking to your jazz mm-hmm. colleagues, what discoveries did you make about the idiom of Gershwin in Rhapsody in Blue? Um, the fact that anything you do, you have to groove. <laughs> Yes, this is like really important. Sometimes you have the freedom to move a little bit. There are some places where you can just live your classical experience <laughs> and your classical soul, but you always have to groove. And this is something that I also had to learn and rehearse with my colleagues because, as you said, um, sometimes classical musicians especially get lost into like the colors and voicings and everything. And then all the other things which matter, they get lost. Mm-hmm. So the through line of the, yes, yeah. yeah, you you have to know that you have to capture your public by this pulse that makes jazz jazz actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the pulse was the priority for you. Yes, the groove, the pulse. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how, if we can get into it a little, how does that manifest itself when you're playing? What is it that you're pushing? Um, well, actually, I keep all the elements that I already know, but. I emphasize the, the, the groove also. Um, and how do you yeah. do that? By leaning on, on certain notes or on certain motives and phrases? Well, actually, it's hard to explain now because mm-hmm. since I already integrated all of this, <laughs> I just do what, what should be natural. Okay. Yeah. So then mm-hmm. tell me about the process of integrating. When you were practicing, mm-hmm. what did you have to work on integrating? <laughs> Actually, it was really interesting because first I suffered a lot because metronome first, uh-huh. right? And then afterwards, metronome was too boring just to, because I felt like a machine, right? Mm-hmm. And then some jazz colleague told me about this app where you have like um, examples of some drums or, and percussions okay. f- from famous recordings. So oh. I just downloaded some of them and then I played with those background so um, you can set that percussion and drum to a certain tempo yes as your accompaniment yeah okay so you kind of had a little swing kit yes. behind you yeah okay. and i practiced with that to get the feel to get the groove and then afterwards it felt quite natural yeah the problem with the metronome um, is that you don't see this thing as a friend right right yeah it's locking you in yes it's locking you in but actually, my mindset changed after those drum sets and all the percussion background sounds um, that actually you have to imagine that the metronome is your friend. So you have to play as well as you can to make the metronome sound good. Mm-hmm. So this was something really interesting for me because before I was just playing, I, I was thinking, yeah, I'm the soloist, so everyone has to adapt to me. But you have to be able to do both, actually. So after your experience with Rhapsody in Blue, what discovery did you make that you didn't know going into it? Actually, that there is space for everyone in this piece. So Mm. he wrote this music for jazz musicians as well for the classical musicians. And it's a work that it's, it's so approachable for everyone. After several performances, I also thought, actually, it's quite amazing that this work can bring other public to listen to the music. Now, in addition to Rhapsody in Blue by Gershwin, you worked on the Preludes, which is mm-hmm. a, a gorgeous uh, trio of, of miniatures, I would say. Yes. Uh, what was your experience in, in tackling those Preludes? They're hard. <laughs> They're really hard, yeah. <laughs> They're mm. really hard, yeah. Also, same thing with the jumps and the groove and uh-huh. everything, yeah. 
I mean, I learned for me the same that I learned with the Rhapsody in Blue, that you always have to keep the pulse, you have to groove. Mm -hmm. and But I also learned that when you perform in public, things happen because when you're excited, sometimes you rush, mm. right? And this is also something that I think it's really interesting to experience that you, with these performances, you, you learn a lot for the next time you have to groove. <laughs> That's true. That's good. <laughs> yeah. uh, now let's jump to the barber, which I would mm -hmm. say is a much thornier piece uh, mm -hmm. than the Gershwin. What were the priorities when you sat down to approach the barber piano concerto? The approach was um, some kind of natural to me because it's really emotional music. I, I cannot compare it so much with other composers. I mean, sometimes it reminds me of Prokofiev. Sometimes there's some... Stravinsky and yeah so it's a mixture of everything that made me feel free actually it's something very personal I wonder mm -hmm. if you're also getting at some of the I don't want to say primitive but maybe mm -hmm. folk mm -hmm. elements that I feel Barbara yes. sometimes brings yeah, yeah yeah of course because yeah. you, you said uh, Prokofiev and Stravinsky mm -hmm. yes. and there's that that rawness that mm -hmm. I think may invite connection mm -hmm. right yeah. in the same way that Gershwin's accessibility and easy tonality also yes. invites connection. Yes. Certainly look forward to hearing that album. Yeah. <laughs> Annie, thank you so much for talking to yes. me. Thank, thank you for having me into your home slash studio. It's great to speak to another Berliner. Thank you. Okay, whenever you're ready. Okay. Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard Annie Huang perform the opening of Chopin's Ballade No. 2 in F, Opus 38, on her Steinway Model A from her home and studio in Berlin. Our intro and outro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at listenmusicculture.com. Question for the podcast? Message me on Facebook at Soundboard. Thank you for listening.